Well, we thank you for being here. I hope you've been in prayer. I hope you've been studying the book of Mark. It's a fascinating book, much different than the other Gospels. Uh, I'm going to sit this week. I said I was last week, but I forgot. And uh, I paid for it. <laughs> oh, Listen, online, thank you, our online church. We appreciate you. That's very encouraging to know that the gospel goes beyond these doors. That's, you know, for a long time we fussed about the Internet, uh, demonized it, and then we learned that we can use it, right? Uh, the gospel can go from here to across the world at the same time we're sitting here. And so I want to say to you online listeners, be a part of spreading the gospel. Hit like and then share it. And then everybody that shares it, it goes further. And we never know. We never know what God is going to use or how he's going to use uh, certain things. I know when I go through my Bible and Bible study, so many times it's amazing. I'll sit down for one reason, and then the next thing I know, God is showing me something in a passage that I've read hundreds of times, literally. And all of a sudden, bam. Something new. That's the beauty of the Word of God, right? All right, you feeling good? All right, let's talk about Mark. I hope you've read it. How many have read the book of Mark through? Raise your hand. Okay, there's work for the rest of you. You're going to find out something. The word immediately in some form shows up at least 20 times. You'll notice that Mark doesn't pick up where Jesus sat and taught. Mark goes from one event to another. Uh, and I, I don't, I think maybe that's part of his restlessness. I think it's part of showing that, you know, Jesus, if you mapped him and, and some way were able to figure out how far he walked, it would be truly amazing. I mean, the Son of God came. When it said he came to seek and to save those who were lost, it's absolutely right. He didn't let anything grow under him. Today, we're, we're going to look at just a couple of verses that talks about his baptism. Now, I've been pastor, I think, nearly 47 years, maybe 47. Don't really remember. But... It is amazing how in the, the time that we live, baptism has become kind of a, I don't know if controversial is a good word to use. Uh, I like to use confusion uh, about baptism. So I think what we're going to do this morning, we're going to read a couple of passages. And then we're going to talk about and see what does the Bible say about baptism, okay? Well, let's look at uh, Mark, first chapter, uh, verse 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth into Galilee. What was that time? It was the time that John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is very, very long. 
And you go to the headwaters in Galilee. It's spring-fed, and it's huge, and it comes down. And over the years, the river has been very wide. Uh, you read uh, on the conquest of when the children of Israel went in. Uh, it said that the Jordan had had swelled during the rainy season, and it was wider. When I was there at the spot on the what's called Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, which is actually the only thing that really points out this is Bethany, this is a spot, is a church they've built. And, and one of the things that's happened all over the place is whenever they identified a place that had to do with Christ, most often a church was built there, kind of like a sign, this is the place. But when we were there, the Jordan River at that particular point was dried up. It, it wasn't. It was not in the spring. The rainy season has not come. But at this particular time, it was a, a vibrant stream. When you read the biblical accounts, John the Baptist went down in the water. People came down to him. So John is standing in the Jordan, okay? Time of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn. That is the phrase that is used. Literally, the heavens were ripped open. It wasn't something slow, but as Christ came out of the water, the heavens were, uh, were torn over and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son with whom I love. And with you, I'm well pleased. We have another version of this in the book of John. Let's look at that one. All this happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptized. They're making a distinction. John lived in that region across the Jordan. Basically, I believe it was where Naphtali uh, and that tribe stayed on that side uh, of the Jordan. That's where he lived in these caves. And he literally began to preach there. And undoubtedly, uh, at that time, though there was a wilderness, the town of Bethany was there. People heard him. Word got back to Jerusalem, which is just across the Jordan from there. And the Pharisees began to come out where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the one I meant when I said, A man comes after me who surpassed me because he was before me, and I myself did not know him. Now, you may think that's strange, because when you read in the book of Luke that John was about six months in the womb older than Jesus, you might say, uh, because when Mary entered the room, uh, John leaped for joy in his mother's womb. So they were cousins, but this, his baptism, is the first time John 
and Jesus came face to face. Do you realize that? This is the first time. How did they, how did they communicate? And they did. Well, they communicated through their disciples. Do you remember when John was in jail and he sent a disciple, his disciples to see Jesus and he asked this question, are you the one that was to come? Now, John is in the Jordan proclaiming that he was the one, but in prison facing death, John simply, I think, wanted to, to make sure that he had not run in vain. The Bible talks about that all the time. Sometimes we need to check and see, are we running in vain? Jesus sent a message to him. He said, go tell him what you see. The lame walks, the blind see. John knew that was Jesus. So he said, I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. This is going to be very important because I'm, I'm going to ask a question. And I'll go ahead and tell you what that question is. Okay, Kind of give you a sneaking preview. It's a question that I'm, I've been asked as long as I can remember. If Jesus was perfect, why was he baptized? Have you ever asked that question to yourself? I mean, there's not wrong. I've had people say, oh, I don't want to question the scriptures. Uh, there's a good way to question anything. Uh, you can question in order to discover truth that you don't know. You can question to verify what you know is truth or error. But many times this is used like, well, I'm not going to be baptized. I've accepted Jesus. He's my Savior. I don't, I'm not going to be baptized. Uh, you know, I can't help Jesus did that. He just did it. No, he didn't. This is the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting on. This was his appearance. This was right before he began his ministry. This was, you might say, Jesus' baptism was Jesus' coronation. This coronation, because he points out, this is the one, the Messiah, Son of God. Okay. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Have you ever figured out I realize when you're reading these bold statements that these men of God say, how bold it is, how sure that they are. And, and John, we know his ministry is short. John li literally lost his head because he would not play a political game and he braced and called sin, sin, because sin is sin. And it cost him his head. And yet he did not waver. 
because he had seen. Now, you say to me, I've had people say, look, I've not seen visibly Jesus Christ. I'm not that sure. But I want to tell you something that is an assurance through Scripture. That when you experience the voice of God speaking into your life, revealing sin, revealing the fact that you're living a life that is futile without the Spirit of God. When that is revealed and your eyes are open, the eyes of your heart, you see the sin that you did not realize was sin. You're sinning not just against people, you're sinning against God. Your destination is hell. And when Jesus says, come to me, and we confess him as Lord, that is, to me, that is an assurance that cannot be shaken for one reason. While it's not something that you visibly see, it's based on the Word of God. And we forget sometimes, this is God's Word. God, through the Spirit, spoke into Mark, the other writers, and this is literally God speaking to us. It's God's assurance that what the Word says is true. And in times, it gets rough, right? Y'all with me out there? Okay. Just somebody raise say amen every once in a while. Let me know you haven't gone to sleep, okay? All right, I, I want to share with you uh, what I see in Scripture about baptism because I think it's important. I think it's very important obedient-wise. I think it's very important for you as a believer to obey what Jesus said, what Jesus did. I, I look at baptism as two things. It's your second act of obedience. Jesus said, if you call on me, you will be saved. And we call on him, we are saved. Then we're going to read in the book of Acts this morning when the crowd that Peter had preached to at Pentecost, when the crowd said, what must we do? Peter said, you repent and be baptized. So there is a step. So when we come to Christ, we are baptized. And baptism is immersion in water. Now, when you look up the definition, it says immersion in water, a sacrament of the Christian church. So I looked up immersion. immersion. And immersion says baptism in which the whole body of the person is submerged in water. So the very definition we see that there is a submerging, there is a covering. And as we see in a minute, there's a reason for that. Now, over the years, I've run across some funny policies. And the one thing I want to make clear to you, baptism is not a religious or even a church policy. Do you realize that? As I would go to a church, you'd see the bylaws. And somewhere in those bylaws, they would say how you're baptized and when you're baptized. Sometimes you have to go a year, sometimes six months, sometimes a class. But it seems that we take something that God has 
instituted and given us, and we turn it into a policy. I had a friend of mine that lived in the Carolinas. I won't mention which is north or south, but they had this policy and this religion he was in. If you move from podunk number one to podunk number two, you had to be baptized in podunk number two, even though you had been baptized in podunk number one. And so if you went to a lot of churches, chances are you stay pretty wet. Listen, I got to announce to you, baptism is not a policy of Tomoka Church. It's not. Baptism is a sacrament. A sacrament. Let me tell you what a sacrament is. A visible sign of an inward grace. Especially... One of the solemn Christian rites considered to be instituted by Jesus Christ to symbolize or confer grace. The sacraments of Protestant churches are baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament. It is something Jesus said in remembrance of me. And so when we think about this, we need to understand That just as the Lord's Supper, I hope to you, is a time of worship. It's not an interlude to let the praise team catch their breath, okay? It's a, it's a worship. You're worshiping through this. When you are baptizing, when you get baptized, it doesn't matter how bashful a person is. I've had people say, preacher, I'm just scared to talk to anybody. But when they're baptized, they speak loud and clear. I've been buried with Christ and I've been resurrected to new life. It's absolutely, amen. It is a visible sign of we we set at the table. The drink, the grape is red in color. The blood of Jesus the bread, the body. These are things that are, that are worship. Let me tell you something else that's a worship. The invitation in a message. The invitation is probably one of the most important times in a, a, a message. Because the word of God is preached. Not to fill time. But to present scriptures. Strengthen believers to have the hearts of those that are open to God's call to come to Christ. And during that invitation, we need, if God is not dealing with us personally, we need to question God. God, have you got something to say to me? And if not, just begin to pray. Lord, let your word spread. This is why I said a couple of weeks ago, during the invitation, please don't get up and walk out that door. Satan uses any kind uh, of interruption to jolt people's minds. It's a time where it's kind of like a funnel. God brings everything down through his spirit. And every time the word is preached, every time it is read, there is a decision that you and I have to make. And it's, it's whatever God leads us in. But we must do something with this word. It's worship and it's grace. Now, a couple of questions. 
I already gave you one question. The first one is, is baptism essential for salvation? In other words, if you come to Christ and you get hit by a car before you can get baptized, is your salvation null and void? I mean, that's the argument that people give me. And the question is, no. Baptism is not essential to salvation. But I'll tell you this, as we begin to walk in essential obedience, which something, listen, baptism should be a joy. Let me tell you about mine. My mother and daddy, whenever they had something at the church, we were there. I mean, it didn't matter. It, it was there. And so about nine years old, I can remember in a service, I had some questions about what I was hearing preached. Now, back then was the hellfire and damnation. In fact, I told Joe a couple of weeks ago, he needed to watch out preaching hellfire. He set the woods on fire back here. <laughs> and we like to lost the building. But at that time, that's what they preached. And the most messages was like, what I called again. You know what again is? I'm again it. I'm not fur it. That's how they would refer. So everything that was fun and everything that I liked, God was again. And so I really want to know what he was for. And so I, I, I was convicted. I walked down the aisle of the church. And what happened is nobody asked, answered any my questions. They took one of those cards and they filled it out. And the next Sunday I was dumped. Now, I'll be honest with you. I really don't know if I came to Christ or not. Because in my teenage years, uh, there was a course of rebellion. Uh, I, I really had a sense God was calling me to the ministry. And I didn't want any part of being a preacher. None at all. Because everything I liked, I was fur and God was again. And I knew I didn't line up. But I was baptized. 20 years later, when God interrupted my life about 1 o'clock in the morning and I came to Christ, I couldn't get into baptismal waters quick enough. It was almost like seeing Jesus there. And if I, and I wanted to follow Jesus, and he had promised me in his word, I had struggled several hours. I got down on my knees after I prayed the, what's called a, a prayer of confession. And I said, God, I just, I just thought of something. Everything I've just promised you, I can't do. I'm going to have to tell somebody I'm a Christian. And there's stuff in my life I can't deal with. And so I went round and round with him to, I guess I got through about, or he got through with me five, six o'clock in the morning. But when I got up, I had a conviction that if I walked in obedience, and that first obedience was to follow him in baptism, to stand up before friends and family and say, I have been with Jesus. He has washed away my sins, and I'm being resurrected in newness of life. So at that church service the next, this was a Saturday night. 
My wife got up with the kids. I was already showered and dressed. And she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to your church. Well, she didn't say anything because it probably shocked her. I didn't say that often. And when that invitation was given, I couldn't wait. I walked down that aisle and honestly, there one good little old sister, she grasped her breath and sat down in the pew. She can't handle it. Uh, but I went down there and told that pastor, God has saved me. I want to do everything he wants me to do. And if he wants me to preach, I'll preach. He said, well, the first thing you need to do is be baptized. I said, okay. And in the water we went. You see, we're to walk before God blameless. And church policy has twisted baptism to something other than a sacred moment of public confession and inward strengthening in the name of the Lord. So, is baptism essential salvation? No. Okay, are you saved by baptism? No. Acts chapter 2. So when the people heard, this is right after Peter preached the message at Pentecost. When the people heard this, it cut to their skin, right through their heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, that is that initial awakening to the voice of God. What do I do when I figure out my sins are the reason Christ was crucified. What do I do? Peter said very quick, repent. Uh, let me, let me read you a passage scripture. It's not up on the, on the wall here. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That is salvation. And your next step is the, the public, as I said, testimony and inward strengthening of obedience. I'm going to follow Jesus even through water. Now, one of the things, questions that I get, and uh, I'm too stupid to fear where others won't walk, is I've had people say, well, I was sprinkled as a child. Okay, you got some water on your head, and you experienced a church policy. And here's the reason I say that. When we come to repentance, we have a knowledge of sins and rebellion against God. If you don't think that you have sinned, you will never repent. And so until God opens our heart, we, we don't repent. A child, small child, a baby, there's nothing for them to repent of. That's what I call a policy. It's when you come to Christ. And once you come to Christ, 1 Corinthians said, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. 
old things are passed away. All things become new. And I'll tell you, when you come out of that water, because somebody has held your breath, and you come out of that water, and it's like, and you breathe that life, and it's like, wow, all things are new. So that's why we are baptized following our relationship, this new relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why I was baptized at 29, even though I was baptized at 9. I got wet at 9. I testified at 29. All right, let's move on to that question. If Christ was perfect, why was he baptized? Well, go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Let's read that. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Do you know what's happening there? Well, if you go back to the book of Genesis, the plural pronoun is used, we which speaks of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus came to earth and was baptized, and he came out of the water, the Father spoke, the Spirit descended, and the Son was revealed. It was his coronation that this just was not any ordinary person Become that had come to John. There was plenty of Pharisees, Sadducees. It says people came from all of the town repenting and being baptized. You see, this was the Son of God. And just as word had spread that John, a weird-looking guy, was baptizing for the remittance and repentance of sin, they learned This is Jesus. Secondly, to fulfill all righteousness. Look at Matthew 3, 13 through 15. We got that one. Okay. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Can you, can you imagine John knowing he was a forerunner? John knew from the time he was old enough to listen to Elizabeth and Zechariah that he was a forerunner of Christ. He was the messenger of the Messiah coming. And here comes this Messiah saying, I want you to baptize me. Well, in John's mind, John was baptizing. It was a baptism of repentance. And here was the Son of God. He needs, he didn't need to repent. There was nothing there. So John is saying, look, I need to be baptized by you. Go ahead. And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to fulfill all righteousness. What does this mean? Well, it's very simple. Jesus, though he was God and equal with the Father, 
when he laid aside his glory and came to earth fully God and fully man, he lived a life. And one of the things that we overlook is that Jesus constantly said, I have come to do the will of the Father. I didn't, he didn't say, I came to heal the sick. I came to do this or raise. He said, I've come to do the will of the Father. So what we see in Jesus coming was an example of how an obedience to everything that God said. And just as in Jesus' life, it caused controversy. He was a hunted person. They plotted to kill him. Nothing deterred him from being obedient to the Father. That's the fulfilling of all righteousness. Secondly, Jesus came as an example for his followers. How many of you remember the little bracelets you used to wear? What would Jesus do? You know, we'd look WWJD. Well, we, that's just simply talking a very important doctrine. As God, through Christ, walked on this earth as he lived, that's our example. It's not Peter, it's not Mark, it's not Paul, it's Jesus. Secondly, Isaiah 53, 12. Here's what a prophecy said. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Very simply, Jesus came to identify with you and I. He came to identify with the human race. And to identify with the human race is to identify with sin because the human race is sinful and needs the Savior and the one that could pay. That's fulfilling all righteousness. Not only that, that not only that, It's a very vivid picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. Have you ever thought that there was more going on at the Jordan River than we really think about at that particular time? Jesus was giving a visual prophecy of what the scriptures had prophesied about him. Jesus came to die. And he came to die and bear the sins of the many. It is that picture. And if you're thinking about whether or not you should be baptized and you have all of these things running through your mind, this morning, it comes down to identifying with Jesus. Just as Jesus died and was buried and was resurrected. And we know that when he came out of the grave, he was different from the body and the looking of when he went in the grave. And just like that, we come out of the water. We may not look any different, but there's a new identity. So we're saying, I stand with Jesus. My two hopes this morning for you is this. If you have never experienced 
asking Christ to forgive your sins and choosing Jesus over the life you live, over your wants. If you've never done that, folks, time is short. I know people have been saying that for a 100 years. But if you look at the times and the seasons, earthquake behind each other, what, 30,000 people in Syria and Turkey killed? You read the 24th and 25th chapters of Matthew, and it looks like the evening news because we're in those days. The next time Jesus comes, there won't be a cuddly baby. He'll be mounted on a war horse, the sword of the word, and he'll come for judgment. If you've not come to Christ, you need him. Secondly, when you come to Christ, you need to be baptized. And if you're here and you have not been baptized after you're coming to Christ, no matter how many times you've been baptized before that, you need to to see one of us on staff and, and say, I want to be obedient. I want to follow Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, we don't need any inkling of disobedience in our life. I don't know about you. It's so easy to build a case against what God calls us to do, isn't it? And that little, that little disobedience and something we think, ah, that's not too much. Satan will take that little molehill and he'll make a mountain of rebellion. We need to walk before God blameless. After all, he didn't say walk perfect. He said blameless. What is blameless? No known sin that I have not asked for forgiveness for in my life. And I'm going to tell you, that's a freedom that you can confess that Jesus is sovereign. You let whatever come, whatever it comes. I'll either go through it or I'll be with Jesus. And you see, that's, that's the way it is. That's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> If you believe in God, believe in me. He's gone and preparing that place for us. This morning, I ask you to walk in obedience. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beautiful picture you gave us. Lord, just seeing you, knowing what you would suffer for me. Lord, would you, through your spirit, Allow the word to come alive even now. Draw to you, everyone, your calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.